quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files. Going public brings a certain amount of uh, proper accountability uh, to, to businesses. Lyft co-founder and president John Zimmer as the ride-hailing service is on the brink of an IPO. Competition with its rival Uber heating up in the race to go public. Is there anything you admire about Uber? <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to say no. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that, that's a really, there's a lot of levels to, to that experience over the last few years, so it would be hard for me to say anything but, but that. Why he thinks they can eliminate car ownership and how self-driving cars will change all of it. And I want to provide customers with the best transportation that is uh, allows them to save money, enjoy the experience more, eliminates traffic, uh, eliminates pollution, and has our cities as a more enjoyable place to live rather than parking lot and traffic. Plus, China. Does he think the risk is worth it to dive in there? And his personal battle with depression his message to anyone struggling with it. Here's my conversation with Lyft co-founder and president John Zimmer. John Zimmer, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for joining me. We sat down a few months ago at a conference, mm-hmm. and I have even more questions for you Sounds since good. then. And your business has grown so much and changed in just a few months as well. I would note you did not take a lift here. I uh, took the subway. The good old New York City subway. Yeah, we walked and took the subway. Why? Traffic? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. It can be The killer. subway in New York is, is great. I know, yes. like, in recent years, people have gotten frustrated with yes. certain aspects, but yes. having lived in Manhattan, moved away from <laughs> Manhattan, uh, I really appreciate the subway I system. I am very grateful for it every day, for sure. Yeah. All right. So just for people that may be just, you know, the regular users, consumers of, of Lyft, your goal is far beyond how many of us use Lyft, far beyond just to get people from point A to point B. Walk me through a Lyft world in your eyes. Yeah, so if you, if you zoom out and think about how our cities have been designed in the United States, they've been designed for cars. When I think in reality, they should be designed for people. It's a, it's a simple idea, but it's really hard to accomplish now because car ownership has been ingrained yeah into American society and American infrastructure. So the world that we imagine is one where you do not need to own a car. In fact, it is more affordable not to own a car. Wait, you want to get rid of cars, but your business is cars. I want to get rid of car ownership. Okay. And I want to provide customers with the best transportation that is, uh, allows them to save money, uh, enjoy the experience more, uh, eliminates traffic, uh, eliminates pollution, um, and has our cities as a more enjoyable place to live rather than parking lots and traffic. Um, and so we're starting that. You know, we started as a uh, lift where you can get a ride within three minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, we added shared rides on top of that. We now have transit listed in our app. Uh, we've added bikes and scooters. And so we're creating a full alternative to car ownership. One, one more 
uh, fact about car ownership, the average American household spends $8,500 every year owning and operating a car. Yeah. That's more money than they spend on food or health care. Really? Where's that stat from? Food or health care? Uh, if you just look at kind of the government facts about uh, where households spend their money. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's right there. You are, uh, for people who don't know, because you guys have often been, you and your co-founder, Logan, have often been sort of categorized, I think, as sort of the nice guys in the battle with Uber. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But actually, you're hyper competitive. You, in your past, wanted to run a mile in under five minutes. And you did. Um, now that you live and breathe this business, Lyft, what is running a mile in under five minutes for you now? Running a, running a mile under five minutes in, in Lyft uh, world is... Uh, eliminating car ownership. It's um, not beating Uber? That's not your five-minute mile mark? No. Uh, that's one milestone that we will hit along the way. We will. Not we want to. We will. We will. How, how are you going to beat Uber? Well, if you look back several years, our, our position from where we were and where we are has, has changed dramatically. We are, um, as it's been reported, we have confidentially filed uh, to go public. I'm not allowed to talk about kind of the, the size of the market or our position in the market. Um, but um, over several years, we've made, we've made fantastic progress, and I'm confident that we can get there. So we're going to go there now. I was saving the IPO questions for a little while, but let's just let's dive in. First of all, before, before IPO um, questions, Uber has about 70% of the market in the United States. What is, and people can't see you, but you're smiling a little bit here. What is beating Uber in your mind then? Do you have to be bigger than them, or do you beat them in a different way? Again, I can't comment on the market size. I have a different uh, read, different okay. read on, on the market share. But um, it's not, we are not running to uh, beat someone else. We are, like, the, the opportunity is way bigger than that. But you just told me we will. That's just, that's just a belief uh, and, and maybe, uh, in my view, uh, a fact of, of something that will happen along the way. But, um, but that's not the goal. The goal is to design cities around people, not cars. The goal is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. Competition is a helpful way to get consumers uh, more value, uh, both the driver and passenger. Uh Uh, But it is not the focus. Do you want Lyft to be larger than Uber in terms of revenue and market share? Do you need Lyft to be to win in your mind? Sure. Like Again, we are competitive, and it is a helpful thing to measure yourself up against. The reason it's helpful is because when we are providing better value to our drivers and passengers, mm-hmm. more people will choose us. And so, yes, we want that to be true. Uh-huh. It's not necessary. This is a massive opportunity. Over a trillion dollars is spent every year on car ownership, mm-hmm. of which Americans use their car 4% of the time. It's parked 96% of the time. And when it's alternate type parking in New York City, like for me in Brooklyn, it is highly annoying to constantly be moving it. Uh, Is Uber a more formidable competitor, John, now uh, with Dara leading than with Travis Kalanick and and the the controversy that surrounded him? No. It's not? No. Do you think Dara has changed the culture? I don't know. I don't don't, obviously don't work there. Um, But you pay attention to it. It it seems like it. Mm -hmm. In a positive way? Positive for ethics and morals, it seems like. Yeah. Give me an example. Um, again, I don't, I, I don't work there. I, I didn't work there before, and I don't work there now, so I don't know. But it, uh, if you just look at all the things that happened previously, 
where it seemed like there was a disregard for humanity. Um, at least they've they've polished the image. Hmm. I don't know how deep it goes, but again, I don't I don't work there, so I don't I don't think it's fair for me to comment. Well, I I do think people should know, and it is interesting. It's been reported that you. When under Travis's leadership, Uber was having some of its initial real, uh, real sort of crisis moments, right? Um, you went around the building your company and said, "Don't gloat," basically. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's it's back to what I was saying that our goal is not simply to beat someone else. Our goal is not to cheer when someone falters. Our goal is not like people were hurt by what happened. Whether it was the driver community, whether it was internal employees that were being mistreated at Uber, that's not anything to cheer about. So, and our experience for our customers and our drivers is what we control. And so the message is and was, let's focus on that because that's going to lead to the best results. And we'll talk about some of those challenges that are facing your riders and your drivers right now and how you're handling that and some internal reporting you guys are doing. Sure. But on the IPO note, since you brought up a public offering, um, the word on the street is that's going to happen this spring or summer. Can you give me an update on the timeline? I cannot. Okay. Reporting has been that Lyft valuation is around $15 billion. Is that accurate? I can't comment on that. How intent are you on Lyft having a public offering before Uber? Also something I, I can't comment on. Uh, in, in, at a high level, um, how the company finances itself again is less important than the the mission and the execution. Are you concerned about a conflicting IPO with Uber? Meaning, do you have any concern if Uber were to beat you to the public market and beat you on an offering date? Of all the things that we've faced over the last six years, uh, this is not something I'm concerned about. And finally, I know you saw the Wall Street Journal reporting about six months ago that Uber's valuation according to this journal reporting, uh, is about $120 billion. That is more than General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler combined. Are these Silicon Valley valuations, that one as an example, an accurate read or out of control? I think it it depends on the situation. I think there are situations where uh, valuations and hype uh, have gotten out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also major structural changes to industry that... uh, can happen over the next decade and will create uh, significant value. Why do you want Lyft to be a public company? A few key reasons. It's important for um, our drivers uh, and passengers uh, and, and you know, Main Street USA to have access to wealth creation. I think that, that's important. Um, it's important. There are important for our team members, our employees, um, to have uh, liquidity and, and, and get value from the hard work they're putting in. Uh, it's important to create a currency um, and get the right valuation for the work that's happening. Um, and, uh, and I think going public brings a certain amount of uh, proper accountability uh, to, to businesses. The Wall Street, the public can see your books quarter by quarter by quarter. One thing you said really fascinates me. You just talked about wealth creation for your drivers. Um, are, are drivers getting a share in the company? Does that mean raising 
um, hourly salaries for them? What do you mean by that? Well, I can't, I can't comment on anything, again, about the going public process. Um, the comment was more general to the point of if only inside investors, let's talk about more broad, not, not just Lyft, but if, if a lot of um, private companies are staying private and only those investors that have access to invest in those companies are able to ride in the upside, um, then there are a lot of people that don't have access to that opportunity um, when you know, new industries or new businesses are created. So that, that's what my comment was about. What about, and I, again, I don't know if because of the rules you can comment on this, but um, you know, take Starbucks, for example, as a company that has given, you know, offered part of it being a public company shares to employees. Is that something we might see for drivers in some capacity in the future once you're public? I can't comment about anything that uh, around the IPO. Okay. Well, let's sit yeah. down after the IPO and that talk about good. it. Okay? Yeah. All right. I'll hold you to that. Yeah. More from my conversation with Lyft's John Zimmer after the break. Autonomous vehicles. When will the average American be able to hail a driverless Lyft, realistically? For the last several months in Las Vegas, uh, about 30,000 rides have been completed um, that anyone who, who lands in Las Vegas who has a Lyft app can access. How about now, in my home is, state of Minnesota? There is, a, there is a safety driver in those vehicles, and that's in partnership with a company called Aptiv. Mm-hmm. But we, we are just a few years away from that being you know, a, a real thing in multiple cities. A few years. Yeah, it's different than asking when will a car manufacturer be able to sell a fully autonomous vehicle, which I think is a or when will plus. the regulators be able to regulate it? That's another key question too. Yeah, it is. But I, I think that what I was like differentiating was in in a decade plus. I think maybe there'll be a car that could do everything, mm-hmm. but a car that does a few things um, fully autonomous. Uh, for a trip type versus yeah. every trip yeah. uh, is closer. You told Vanity Fair not that long ago, Lyft, quote, will never need fewer drivers than you have today. How can that be true with yeah. autonomous vehicles? Yeah, so um, partially kind of what I was just talking about is that for something, for all trips to be done autonomously, um, we're s- you know, several leaps in, in technology away from that. Yeah. Also, a big part of that response is that Lyft and Uber combined do less than 1% of miles traveled in the United States. And we've had well over a million drivers on the platform. So you mean the market gets bigger? The market gets bigger. And you'll always have a percentage of rides with people, um, either as a driver or as kind of the hospitality host um, if you think about medical, we do uh, a growing part of our business in healthcare, uh, where people who need to get to a, a medical appointment uh, and need a ride, um, someone that may have trouble walking, um, sure. uh, there may be a person helping them, mm. or uh, a kid uh, or multiple kids that are going somewhere that want you know, a, a, someone supervising. Um, so I really um, don't believe there will be a time when we need less uh, drivers. Um, and, and, and the biggest part of that is because of the market growth. And if you think about the majority of the cars on the road, uh-huh. um, it is not 
you know, our vehicles, it is people driving alone in their own personal car. And so when you replace that and create a job out of it. Um, what, if I'm sitting here as the CEO of Ford or General Motors or Toyota, what should I be feeling right now? Both an opportunity and a, and a large risk. Because GM is a big investor, for example, in you guys. Yeah. The opportunity is that there's a once-in-a-lifetime moment to be part of what should be a positive change in how we get around in our cities. That is, you know, puts money back into people's pockets because we spend $8,500 every year owning and operating a car. That uh, allows cities to get um, less pavement, less parking spots, and more, whether it's housing uh, or, or parks. By the way, the bikers are going to be so psyched about this. that They're going to get a ton more bike lanes, more bike lanes. If, 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 if this vision this, comes to fruition. Happen. That should happen, and it is happening, frankly. Cities all over the country are, are adding uh, safe bike lanes. It has been, the deck has been unfairly stacked against pedestrians and, and, and bikes. But how is this an opportunity for, I mean, it just seems like a fundamental business shift for these Yes. entrenched large in legacy those, automakers and in those shifts are major opportunities or if if people try to preserve the status quo massive risks because car ownership will change people will not own vehicles in the same way they do today but i like having my old beat up almost 10 year old toyota to in drive around, in brooklyn but still yeah that are park alternate side on the street to yeah. drive around my two kids with their Cheerios all over the floor and the big heavy car seats that are too hard for me to take yeah. out alone and put back in every time. Yeah. Am I going to do that? Well, when I have a kid too, and it is hard, we haven't, we haven't fully solved the problem. We are less than 1% of the way there. You, know, you asked me to go, go out several years. Yeah. So that's a fair pushback. And uh, again, we haven't... It's my life, you know, yeah. and in yeah. your life. Yeah, I have the same... The same Challenges with fully getting rid of the car. Yeah. Um, but we're still so, so early. I think the proposition will be that it will be financially irresponsible for mm. you to do that mm. um, in a few years. And so if you can afford it, okay, then you can have that experience. Right. But for other people who cannot afford it, yeah. it, it should be more affordable for us all to share an asset, the car, yeah. than it is to own it and use it only 4% of the time. By the way, and you don't have to give up all your convenience. It'd also be nice if there were mm. elevators in every subway here in New York City so that... Seriously. I mean, it's so hard with the stroller down most of the stairs, but yeah. that's another. It's not your issue to solve, John. Um, congestion. I want you to weigh in on this because I know you, you saw this re yeah. pretty recent report from the San Francisco County Transportation Authority. And what it found was that Lyft and Uber didn't decrease traffic in San Francisco. It actually made things worse. What, what it found is that Uber and Lyft were responsible for 51% of the daily vehicle delay hours increase between 2010 and 2016. Does that undermine the concept of ride sharing and lessening congestion? If that is true, and we've seen studies that argue on both sides of that issue, and, and, and I'm, my belief that is there are cases where it has hurt traffic and there are cases where it has benefited traffic like made traffic less okay. um so there let's just go for the places where it is true that is not good and we don't want to be part of that um and we have more work to do so you know we we just bought the largest bike share company in the united states we we hired anthony fox former secretary yeah. of transportation um to advise um we have been public proponents of a big transit uh, bill in nashville that got you know, unfortunately shot down 
um, we have been supportive and will be continuously supportive of congestion pricing, uh, congestion pricing mixed with solutions for those that cannot afford it. A la London. A la London. Yeah. Um, the difference of congestion pricing in New York is that they, they targeted um, taxis, limos, uh, Lyft and Uber only versus all cars. So you've now incentivized people to drive their own car. So it is h harder politically to get something mm. passed for all vehicles, mm. but kind of a necessary path forward on, in cities so that we don't have to dig tunnels underground. But it's clear you pay attention to that study and say, you know, if that's the case in certain areas, we've got to work case, on that's that. Not, that's not okay. And we have a lot more work to do. And we definitely have a lot more work to do. This is still very early days. I mean, again, less than 1% of miles in the United States are on Lyft and Uber. Now, if in a city, it's fair to say that's uh, higher, but sure. it's not... It's not anywhere near the majority. It's, it's still in the minority. Um, but, you know, there were, there were studies done on car sharing, Zipcar, mm -hmm. when it started, and vehicle miles traveled went up. And people were very upset about that, rightfully, because that's not a good thing. Um, but it was because you made the car, you made that type of transportation easier to access. Yeah. They did the study years later, and VMT for that group went down. What's because, VMT? Because uh, vehicle miles traveled. Okay. Sorry. Um, that went down because people had changed their behavior. They had learned to use transit. They had learned to walk. They had learned to combine it with all these different modes. Hmm. And uh, they didn't buy a car next time their lease was up. So this behavior change takes time. I, I, I welcome the like, scrutiny on uh, how and what we can do better. Um, and I truly believe that we are on the right side of history in helping get rid of traffic, we also need policymakers uh, to make policy that also supports that. International expansion. So right now, Lyft operates in the United States. Uber operates in, in a little over 60 countries. Do you want to operate Lyft all around the world? Our mission is to improve people's lives with the world's best transportation. The more lives that it... The, wor the word world was in that wor answer. world is in that answer, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the... The goal of having a, a large impact would mean that, it, you know, it's uh, great if we can do that at uh, even increasing scale. We are, uh, we do operate in Canada, mm -hmm. um, and that is our, that allows us to get the product uh, ready for multiple currencies and languages. And that's a decision that we'll make later. It's not necessary for us to build uh, a high impact and successful business uh, to go larger, but it is uh, an aspiration that, that is something we can do uh, in the future. More from my conversation with Lyft's John Zimmer after the break. China. What do you think about operating in China? I think that one is quite difficult. Um, What's the hardest part? Transportation at its core is critical to a country's infrastructure. I don't see a world in China where an American company operating transportation infrastructure has an easy path forward. Are you concerned about the safety of your IP in China? Yeah, but uh, I think more so if we were to go international, that would not be at the top of the list. Of, con uh, of places to go. Correct. Gotcha. Uh, let's talk about what's going on right now in New York City. Uh, this is fairly recent news. So Lyft is suing to block New York City's new driver minimum wage law. 
tell me why. Sure. So the goals, this is, this is really important because um, the headline, I think, is misleading. It's a podcast. Goals, you got all the time in the world. I know. Perfect. The goals of the, the city council's goals are to increase overall driver earnings. Right. And to reduce congestion. And just so people know, the, the goal here is that overall drivers would earn a minimum take-home wage of $17.22 an hour. That's the goal here. Sure. Over 90% of Lyft drivers in New York City already do that. So that's an important fact. Um, also, back to the, the goals of the city council of increased overall driver earnings and reduced congestion, I am 100% aligned with. Now the question is, do you create a policy that actually delivers that result? So I'm going to tell you why we don't believe that that happens. So first of all, they created, not the city council, but the TLC created an extremely complex formula for calculating rate cards for how drivers would be paid. They prescribed a specific method. That method puts utilization in the denominator which gives an advantage to the largest player. You think it helps Uber? A hundred percent. This is, imagine a... Because Uber is not suing. Yeah, isn't that interesting that, like, Juno and Lyft, the smaller players, are saying, hey, this puts us at an extreme disadvantage and Uber is staying quiet. There's a real reason for that. Because when, if, if a coffee store says, if the government says, hey, this coffee store uh, can charge $3 but that coffee store has to charge for. That's actually what is in this utilization equation, but it's really complicated and hard to explain, so the narrative gets lost. Because the, the, just on the surface, these rules from the, from the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission are across the board. So on the no, surface, a, it looks... on the surface, but there's a utilization uh, that you can get an exception. So there's a utilization that would be shared by multiple players. That would be fine if everyone had the same metric. But uh, one of the companies has already asked for an exception and has a different utilization rate, meaning they can pay differently. Why do we, you ask for an exception? They won't give us one. Did you ask? Uh, yes. We also asked and st- spoke for several months about, like, hey, we're, we're, we're fine with the city council law, but the implementation handle, hands an unfair advantage uh, to Uber, which we don't think they intended. At this point, though, the way they're digging in, I, I begin to question, like, who, why is a city giving, allowing Uber, because they have scale, to charge differently? That, does, that just doesn't add up. It's very complex. And it I, I frankly, I've read a ton about this, and I can't tell yeah. you that I fully understand this. But let me, let me walk through and sure. get some reaction to some of this stuff. So New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has called the lawsuit that Lyft filed unconscionable. And he said, quote, the overwhelming majority of these companies' drivers earn less than a minimum wage. Yeah, I would love to see the study and the facts behind that statement. And it is upsetting. Like, I, I care deeply about the driver community. Whether or not people believe me, that's fine. But, like, I genuinely do. And we have hard decisions to make. And we, I believe, throughout our history, have proven that we are making values-based decisions. Whether they're the easy decision or the hard decision, uh, we are willing to stand up uh, and, and, and fight for that. And there are two aspects of this law that, whether intentional or not, do not 
uh, hit the, the perceived goals. And frankly, I think a lot of the, because it is complicated, to create a policy that messes with market dynamics uh-huh. um, is okay, but you've got to be really careful. And the way that, the, that it is currently done, even the study, the economic study they did to base their formula off of, didn't account for the fact that drivers drive on multiple platforms. Meaning a driver often drives. I've seen this a lot for Uber and Lyft. Or yeah. for, or so for when a driver is online, quote, with Lyft, and they're taking Uber rides, that drives down our utilization rate. Now, as Uber is larger in New York, mm. and we our drivers will drive more on their platform, they can then charge, Uber can then charge less over time, uh, which then would allow them to become bigger, and it would kind of create a... a a worse and worse experience. The other thing that they did, that the, 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 the TLC did, is they prescribed exactly that this has to be done on a per-trip basis versus a weekly overall basis. So you think it encourages shorter trips? It encourages a different type of trip, absolutely. And um, it doesn't allow you to... Like, at times when there are... Let's say this increases... Another thing that is hard to talk about, but is true, is if prices are increased 30%. Let's, let's say we're all, just everyone believe me, let's say we like want to pay drivers more. If you increase rates 30% or 20%, mm-hmm. demand will go down by a similar, if not greater amount. Well, we're, right. And the overall earn, earnings opportunity will shrink. And so it's, it's a debate over, <clears throat> and there are limits, like living wage, you know, that, that is something that everyone should be entitled to. Um, but the, the, again, the, the intention of the policy mm-hmm. was good. The uh, implementation uh, and effects of it uh, are concerning. I should note, I read that, that your response to the lawsuit so far as you are, are suing is that you did raise the driver's rates. That's an important uh, point. We, I thought uh, so, too, when I read it. Last Friday, we uh, did increase uh, rates, um, and we did it based on uh, the formula that we think um, uh, is to best what? for this. What's that? To what? The amount that is the, stated the, in the city council law yeah. at the end of every week, every driver will have earned that amount. So you bring up living wage. Yeah. As if you thought of my next question, because that's what uh-huh. I had, had written here. Um, the Independent Drivers Guild says that the average rideshare driver across all the companies in, this, in New York City makes $11.90 an hour. That's their analysis. You bring up a living wage, um, and you said everyone should should have a living wage, right? No matter what city you're in. What do you think, John? A living wage is in New York City, an hourly living not, wage. I, I think that's better for third parties that are uh, smarter than me and economists to to tell us what that is. Uh-huh. I think structurally, there are. Companies that have a responsibility, and there's the government that has a responsibility. I'm, I'm trying to get at that that issue, just sort of the fundamental issue of how to narrow the income gap and and help ensure what you say everyone yeah. deserves. If right? You, Is there if you if you just target? So not all companies are good actors. Okay, so I'm fine with and 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 companies should be held accountable. Um, but we should measure the success of a policy based on. Its impact, and we should also be talking in facts. I don't know that specific fact that said drivers were making a certain amount in New York. That sounded it's their analysis, a group that represents some of these drivers, the independent sure, drivers. That, that didn't sound accurate. Um, but let's go back to, uh, for example, 
I shouldn't be getting too much into politics, but a tax law that allows people under certain incomes to keep more of their paycheck makes a lot of sense. Because, but when you, when you put all the pressure into the market on the company to price something a certain way, then you can shrink the work opportunities. T- tell me if I have this right. You believe there is more onus on the government in terms of tax code in this country, et cetera, yes. right? A lot of very smart people have pushed for an earned income tax credit, for example. Earned right? income tax credit is a phenomenal it's the, thing. It's the one thing Warren Buffett says could, could be done. It's phenomenal. People that are hardworking uh, should, should, and, and earn under a certain amount should pay less. So you're, that's what you say, okay, government, you do this. I'm interested in coordination it's, with that. It sounds like you're saying... It's similar to congestion pricing. If you target just us instead of the whole system you will have different impacts on the market that may actually be against your policy goals. It sounds to me like you're saying we lift are willing to pay drivers some more, but we want a level playing field. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Are you willing to pay drivers more in the aggregate? Yes. We also want to look at the facts. Like if increasing again, like if, if there's a thousand dollars to be earned using like a just a, a yeah, I get it. Like if there's a thousand dollars to be earned when the the ride costs X dollars, and there's eight hundred dollars to be earned when the ride costs a, a larger amount, then there's a broader policy question that should be debated. Like, should do you want less jobs at this rate or or more? And so, I, I think it's a fair debate. We want more overall earnings for drivers. There is a line at which it, it needs to be uh, sustainable for someone. Uh, and I would love to get way above that if the market allowed. Um, and I think the government should do more to uh, help people that aren't earning as much. This, this is a really important conversation and something I care deeply about and have covered you know, for my whole career. So I appreciate your, your candor and willingness to dive in on that. More from my conversation with Lyft's John Zimmer after the break. On culture, let me read you the headline from an Economist article on you guys a while back. Quote, do nice guys come second? In the article, quote, Doubter's primary criticism of Zimmer, that's you, is that he's too nice to lead Lyft to success. Why are they wrong? I think the results are speaking, and um, I actually think it's, uh, first of all, I don't think it's newsworthy that if someone treats people well or doesn't treat people poorly, we're in a time where it's more interesting to hear about people that are maybe jerks, to, to say it mildly. Um, but I would argue, one, treating people well is the right thing to do. And two, it's also good for business. We can hire a better team because they're happy when they come to work. We can uh, provide our passengers with a better experience uh, because we treat our drivers better. Drivers prefer driving on Lyft than, than Uber. What tells you uh, that? What's that? What tell, what are you? Multiple um, surveys and studies that have been done by outside groups um, uh, show that a far greater number of Lyft drivers uh, are preferring the experience to Uber. 
Um, and the good news is we survived comp competition with them so that we're now like both competing to, to treat drivers better and better. And that's, that's a good thing. Is there anything you admire about Uber? <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to say no. That thing. <laughs> uh, that, that's a really, there's a lot of levels to, to that experience over the last few years. So it would be hard for me to say anything but, but that. I want to ask you about you and um, a moment of vulnerability that you showed recently and what you've learned as a, a, in response. You did a great interview with my friend and, and colleague, Lori Siegel, and in it you talked about depression and the personal depression that you experienced and your struggle and sort of this wall and coming out on the other side. What did people say, your friends and your colleagues and people who work for you, when they heard that? Um, well, first, like, I'm, I feel like I've been very fortunate to have uh, support, a good education, uh, and lots of things. So I think people go through, uh, I know people go through a lot more difficult than anything I've had to face. I think in today's times, being real with each other is super valuable. And because of technology and because of the way words and news travels, um, connecting with people on a human level, um, while it seems super simple, um, in some, some ways isn't happening as much as it should. And so I think a lot of people go through that. A lot of people, I don't know anyone who hasn't gone through a hard time uh, of varying degree. But you, so, I mean, you went through depression. Yeah. And it's sort of, I just think a lot of people are scared to talk about it and they don't talk about it. And then um, it just makes those who are there's experiencing nothing, it I feel think, isolated. Yeah. And I think there's like, I think the, the, the point is there's nothing to be ashamed of and that there's, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing taboo or strange about that. Do you have advice to people who may be very successful on the outside like you are and are struggling uh, quietly on their own on the inside? Yeah. I mean, just it's always important to find the grounding in in life and and that typically comes from loved ones from family uh i have a daughter now and uh you know going through whatever it is a, a daily challenge and coming home to that is how old uh she's three best it's amazing <laughs> um you know g gaining perspective and and you know having having genuine community um and, and there's, a, there's a path out. Do you think that technology plays a role at all in, in all of this? I mean, you've, you've talked about how much we can be isolated in, in our phones and our yeah. technology and sort of that need. I, I know I grasp for it more now yeah. for community. Yeah, I do. I do yeah. think technology plays a part in it. Yeah. I do think um, screens that are incentivized to um, take your attention um, instead of looking at other people and talking to other people, uh, absolutely contribute to that. They don't hug us back. Yeah. I mean, it sounds funny, but seriously. They don't hug us back. They don't, they don't respond with empathy and help us through, no. uh, you know, good or bad times. No. Uh, they serve us more games and ads. <laughs> there you go. Um, your role as founder and president, yeah. you have chosen to at times take a political stand. 
And let me rewind this a little bit and remind people about this because Howard Schultz, founder of Starbucks, Schultz, before he, uh, when he was running Starbucks as CEO, before, you know, his new book and a potential presidential bid. And I I would say I'm not necessarily aligned with uh, recent political statements from. Understood. He chose to speak out as a CEO of a public company on a lot of social issues. And I say this because you chose to make a statement as well on behalf of Lyft um, when the Trump administration first proposed its travel ban, yeah. right, before it went through through the Supreme Court. And the way you did it is not just a written statement, is that you decided that Lyft would give a million dollars to the ACLU. And you, you've said since that was a hard thing to do. Why? At that point, now, now the back and forth and the attacks and the um, taking action as a company, I think, has been played out a bit, but at the time, uh, it was earlier in the presidency, and it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. People weren't sticking their neck out, and and we we you didn't mean want companies to, weren't companies. As much. Sorry, yeah. yeah, companies weren't. For us, the uh, immigration ban crossed a line that affected our team members. Uh, affected our driver community uh, and affected our passenger community in a way that we didn't feel comfortable giving a written statement. (laughs) Uh, And so then we asked ourselves... Because you were that offended. Yes. And then we asked ourselves, who can actually help? We don't want to just make a statement even in an action, but we want to know who can actually make have a difference. Mm -hmm. And we saw the ACLU uh, having some early success challenging the immigration ban. Hmm. And so we, we put our uh, money behind that and, uh, and really didn't know what the reaction would be. Was that one of the most difficult uh, decisions that you've made as a leader of the company? I think it's, I think it's up there because um, it's, not, it's, not it's not an obvious kind of straightforward thing to do as a as a company. Are you glad you did it? Absolutely. Any regrets? No. Talk about safety and sure. sexual assault. Um, horrible, horrible thing happened. A pregnant Lyft driver was recently stabbed to death by a passenger. Is, is the company implementing any safety changes as a result? Yes. Uh, several things have been and will continue to be done to improve safety. Um, that is just horrible. horrible. Um, you know, I think there's um, there's a lot that has been done. If you think about the previous way drivers uh, were driving around with zero accountability uh, from a passenger, basically an anonymous person can get into a taxi and you don't know who that person is. And if something happens, you don't have a way to um, track, hold them accountable. Um, this, in this case, um, by having, you know, identity tied to it, um, it was very easy to find out who the, who the other person was working with authorities. Um, and there are, there are bad people out there and, and, you know, we, we should, and we'll continue to do everything possible to stop bad actions, uh, and to increase safety. Um, and. And this is a reverse. I mean, this was a, was a mother in her third trimester. And, 
you know, so much focus has been on the passenger safety and background checking drivers. Do you, has this changed at all, John, how you look at or think about background checking passengers? I mean, I don't even know how you would do that or people who hail rides. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So drivers are protected going to get yeah. them? I mean, we, we've taken multiple steps from the beginning on protecting both sides, uh, drivers and passengers beyond what has been done historically. Um, again, the accountability of creating an account, um, the, the ratings, um, and both drivers and passengers being off-boarded for that. But you don't, um, ba- I don't get background checked, right, when I sign right. up for a I list. I mean, just like, like do you we don't need- get background checked for walking into a store at no. late hours or, or all different things. And so, um, I mean, is that unrealistic, do you think? To background check every passenger, um, it's likely, uh, it's very difficult. Yeah. These moments are important times to, to, to reflect and, and see, like, what, what can we do better? For, for so. sure. Um, when it comes to passenger safety, I'm sure you saw the big CNN investigation that focused on a number of the ride-hailing services. Um, and, and part of it, it was largely reporting on Uber. There was part on Lyft that found two instances in which drivers pleaded guilty to sexual assault while working for both Uber and Lyft. Um, I know that you have promised uh, to release a safety transparency report detailing a lot of this. Where does that stand and and when do you think the public may see it? Um, The honest honest answer is I don't know. I know, I believe it was Uber that committed to putting out a new new study on this. Um, Not you guys. And that and that then we said, sure, let's work together as an industry Got and it. like create the same rubric. Okay. Uh, and and so that you know we can we can compare. Um, so I, I don't know the exact uh, timing of something like that. Um, and I think we should continue to do everything possible to uh, improve the safety of the driver and passenger community. But what's interesting is that is that is an area of collaboration for the public good. It should be. Yeah. A few final questions. Um, a year, a little bit more than a year out from when the Me Too movement really began, you're not only a leader, president, you're a father of a daughter. Mm-hmm. How has the Me Too movement, has it changed you at all as a leader? I think both hearing about the extent uh, to which women have been experiencing this, you know, it's one thing to know it. And then it's another thing to just hear, hear more of the horrible stories. Um, helps like the, I, I cannot ever understand what it's, what it's like, yeah. um, to the same depth as someone who's experienced these things, but it definitely by hearing more about it, uh, it, it helps provide the ability to, create the right policies and to to have the right empathy to ensure you can provide people safe and good experiences. And then having a daughter, I'd say I'm optimistic right now that like there's a lot of things to be scared about and a lot of things to be worried about. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of reasons to to be hopeful that a lot of the things we're seeing, the Me Too movement included, are reactions to things that have been going on for way too long and that to that hit a turning point in the last couple of years mm. and having a young daughter and actually uh having another one on the way very oh, soon congr- a girl um, or boy a girl oh congrats um 
That's great. I, I, I have an optimistic view that people have said enough is enough and there's, uh, there's a better path forward. Who's your hero? I'd say two people. Uh, my professor, uh, Robert Young, who passed away um, about a year ago, um, who was a fighter, uh, who was an activist, uh, and who was deeply principled. Um, and then my, my grandfather, uh, who, uh, who was just, you know, growing up as a little kid, someone, someone I looked up to and, and someone that fought, uh, in World War II was shot, um, almost didn't make it. Um, uh, and so persevered. What did he teach you? Perseverance? He taught me perseverance. He, um, he started teaching me, you know, right from wrong. Um, and he, and he was a, a people person, uh, that would say, you know, you know, would, would, would emphasize the value of treating people with respect and dignity. This has been fascinating, John. Thanks for all the time. Thank you. And congrats on the little girl. Thank you. On the way. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.